0: All right, so I know some of you are thinking, whoa, we're just now getting to the message, right, really? But don't worry, we, uh, we don't have a whole lot to talk about today because we've really already talked about it in the previous uh, several weeks because what we are talking about today, Paul is, is really recapping, but he's doing it in such an amazing and powerful way. Um, you're gonna, you're gonna love it. When I was going through this, I started getting, I was rehearsing, I started getting so excited I had to stop, so, um, if I get all amped up, I'm just gonna roll with it this time. Let me, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and we're gonna finish up the chapter today. We're gonna look at verses 31 through 39, if you don't have one, there's one around you and, uh. You can look up uh, where Romans is in the uh, table of contents in the front. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Now let me, let me tell you what's going on here real quick. Paul's wrapping up his line of thought uh, that runs all throughout chapter 8. Not even, not even just chapter 8, but really it's chapters 5 through 8. Um, and what he's been talking is, about is that we who place our trust in Jesus... Have a one hundred percent guarantee of salvation there's a lot of things that you can get that you can say it's a one hundred percent guarantee, but it's really not it's not a one hundred percent guarantee that it won't break down. it's a one hundred percent guarantee that you can send it back. but it's really not there either because who knows if that you know commercial that company that put that commercial on is really going to be around you know. My kids have been begging me for these, um, what are they called? Um, They're these animal slippers that when you step, they pop up. Um, I forget what they're called now. But, I mean, every time it comes on, they just go crazy. And I look at that thing and I say, they won't be around next year. Everybody's going to buy one this year, and then next year it's going to be gone, and nobody's going to want it. That company's gone, right? And so, for $20, bucks, we are investing in something that's going to get torn up in about a week. But nonetheless... They guarantee, you know, guarantee 100% satisfaction, all that kind of stuff. This guarantee that Paul gives us is so much different. There's nothing, nothing that can take away this guarantee. There's nothing that can intervene and say, you know what? I was wrong. I forgot about this part. Nothing. So let's jump in here. Um. Let me, re- let me tell you real quick um, before we do. Verse 31, um, go ahead and, and look there. But in chapter 5, like I said, Paul uh, has been explaining that for those who choose Jesus, nothing can stand in the way of Him making us holy, of Him making us right. And, and, and so in chapter 5, he points out that death cannot get in our way because when we leave this body, we are at home with Him Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In chapter 6, he says not your sin. Now, let's be clear. Our sin can get in the way and keep us from God. But when we turn to Him and say, "Let me give," I want to give my life to You, God. I'm ready to submit to You, Jesus. Then no more. God makes us clean. He makes us holy. And even the sin that we continue to do, because we're not perfect, that doesn't get in the way anymore because God is continually making us holy. In chapter 7, he says it's not the Old Testament law, which if you want to read that, you might read it when you go to bed at night. It puts you to sleep. Um, But there's really some good stuff in there uh, if you know what's going on. And then in in, uh, chapter 8, uh, Paul's been saying the Holy Spirit is in us and there's nothing that can overcome that. So in verses 31, uh, there's two, two paragraphs here. Verse 31 through 34, Paul's kind of, he's, he's, he's a lawyer kind of guy. He's using a lot of courtroom language on our behalf to hand over, bring any charge, justify, condemn, intercede. All of these, all of these are, are courtroom type language. And what he's doing here is he's showing That the verdict that God has already given on our behalf. That we are not guilty. For those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Believe that he died for our sins. Believe that he was raised to new life. We are declared not guilty. And so he wants to make this point. And so verse 31. He says. And I love this question. It's so rhetorical. What then shall we say in response to this? Now. Now. In your translation, it it may say, what then shall we we say in response to these things? What are these things that he's he's talking about? It's not just what we talked about last week, um, where we talked about the whole predestination thing, and and, and let me be clear about that. Last week, some... uh, A couple people came up to me and said, are you sure about that? You acted like you were unsure. I'm very sure about what I said. I was just, I was trying to walk gingerly because I know that that is a big debate. It is a big topic of debate, predestination. You know, does God choose us? Do do we make our own choice? I believe we make our own choice. I believe I can show you in scripture. Um, And so I was, I was walking gingerly. I am very sure about what I believe. So let me just, a little side item there. Um, But What are these things? It's not just what we were talking about last week. It's not just what he's talking about in chapter 8. It's what he's been talking about all throughout chapters 5 through 8. And that is that we have a 100% guarantee in Jesus Christ that we will be made holy. That we will see him face to face one day. That when we leave this world, we leave trouble and pain and heartache and everything else behind. And it's just us and Him. So what shall we say in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I love this word, this, this word for. If God, You're like, for? Really? If God is for us, and this word in Greek is actually on our behalf. Or on behalf of, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, in other words, if we join his army, he does the fighting. We can pick up our gun, but we just lay it back down because he does all our fighting. He's the guy, he's the guy that is the strongest in our camp, right? He's our Hulk. He's stronger than this guy. He, he is the guy that we would pick first on the playground, right? Well, Chuck Norris, he's stronger than Chuck Norris. That's right. I have so many one-liners that I'm dying to say, share, but I, I'm not going to. He's the one you go into battle with, and when, when it comes right down to it and the battle comes to you you make sure you stay right behind Him, in step with Him, because you know that He cannot be defeated. Who can be against us if He is for us? Verse 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? So if God already gave us Gave up to us the most precious thing to him. I mean, think about what the most precious thing to you is. For those of us that are married, it may be our spouse. For those of us that have kids, it may be our children and our spouse. Um, for those of us that are single, maybe your, your family, maybe a, a, a possession you have. Something that brings a fond memory. But for for God, for the Father in heaven, it was Jesus. And if he gave him up, then why in the world would we ever think that he would say, you know what, I gave you enough. Because he's already given it all. And he continues to give us more and more and more. He is for us and can do all things as Paul has described from chapter 1 on. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Now, remember, we saw last week that those who are chosen are people who place their trust in Jesus. In the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel, but he never forced them individually to do things they still chose. He transfers that, this is transferred into the New Testament. When Jesus dies, the new nation of Israel is now us, believers. Those who choose to believe in Jesus. And so he says, who can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? That is us, the righteous ones. It is God who justifies. So who can bring a charge against us? Well, if you think about this. Satan can. Our enemies can bring a charge against us. Our own sin can actually bring a charge against us. But here's the thing. What they are, what all those things are, really, they're just complainers. They're they're just whiners. Because here's the thing. You and I and, and all the complainers, we've got no power in and of ourselves to save ourselves We've got no power to do anything about our salvation. We can point out flaws, but we don't have the solution. Christ has already brought the solution. Our Heavenly Father has given us the solution. And, and here's the thing. Even if, even if these things don't have the power or the strength to bring about the solution... Our Heavenly Father already has, and He points it out. He says, it's God who justifies us. It's nobody else. It's nothing else except for Him. Verse 34. Who is is He that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, I love this. It's like Paul goes urban on us. Check that. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Paul asks this question again. Who can really condemn us? Who's the person who can really, truly condemn us? It's no one. If we live for Jesus, no one can condemn us. Because Jesus has not only died, he's not only been given the power to Rise from the dead. Anybody here done that? But he also intercedes for us in heaven right now. Consider that for a minute. I mean, that's crazy. He's up in heaven interceding on my behalf. When I'm doing something and he sees where I'm going, he's working behind the scenes. Interceding for me. And he is the one who ensures because of that intercession, because of that death, because of that resurrection, he ensures the not guilty verdict for which we died. So here's your 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 point today. He is the one who ensures our 100 percent guarantee of salvation. He is the one. Jesus is the one that guarantees our 100 percent guarantee of salvation. Verse 35. Now, in these verses, Paul brings it, brings it down a little. He brings it personal. And he says, What you have gone through and experienced, I have experienced. Verse 35. <clears throat> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? So he brings things down. I mean, we've experienced some of these Right? I mean, there are things in this this list that we've gone through personally. And Paul has experienced all of these in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, if you want to go back and read them one day. He, He lists these things. And he knows that except for the last one, the sword, which he actually does experience at the end of his life when he's killed for Jesus. He knows that these things... He has experienced personally and he has never, ever been divorced from Jesus' love, from the love of his Father. He knows that he is still with him. Not because of what we've done, but because we chose the right side. Jesus and his love for us. So let me say this. These are things that as strong as they are in this temporal life, they are actually powerless. Powerless to divorce you from Jesus. Verse 36. And this, this is a little weird. All of a sudden it's like, where did this come from? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. You know, it just seems, what in the world? Where did that come from? What he's doing is he's quoting Psalm forty four twenty two here. And it seems weird. It seems like he's interrupting his flow uh, or out of place or something. But it's actually, it fits perfectly. It fits perfectly. Because the you're here is God. For your sake, God, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And so what Paul is saying, and he's saying it very clear. Because when, when they quote an Old Testament quote, they actually are bringing to mind the entire passage, the entire psalm of Psalm 44. And what he's saying here is that don't expect that you're going to just skate through life. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have pain. You may even face death by the sword or gun or whatever it may be. Don't expect that you won't. God does allow it to happen. And we should never be surprised by it. Never. Verse 37. No, in all these things... I love this verse. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now, this verse is, is so overquoted and misused... I mean it is it is taken out of context and and I mean there's a there's a play that play that commercial real quick Josh it's a Russell Athletic commercial that you see We are visitors underdogs party crashers guests in a den of lions but we will prevail because today are more than conquerors really i mean that's 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 what they're using this for they're using it to say we're gonna beat the opposing team and jesus is like paul's like we're more than conquerors you ever thought about this verse what does it mean to be more than conquerors if you if you go on the football field and you defeat your opponent how what more is there I thought about getting somebody up here to arm wrestle, but we won't do that today. Um, if, if I if I whoop somebody up here in arm wrestling, or somebody whoops me, it's more like what more is there? How are you more than a conqueror? Well, you've got to take it in context here, and you've got to understand what Paul's saying. He says, "No, in all of these things, the things that we've been talking about." The trouble, the hardship, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger, the sword. And those things, not only do we overcome them with Jesus, through Jesus. But they actually sharpen us. They actually make us stronger. Not only do we defeat the opponent's but we come out on the other side stronger. We're not just conquerors. We're more than that. We come out stronger on the other side. Now, verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He's talking from a heart of experience. He's talking from somebody who's been through it. Paul was, he was put in jail. He was stoned. Literally stoned. Uh, tradition says that what happened is there were several ways to stone somebody. You could put them out in the middle of an arena and just throw big boulders at them. That was one way. The other way was you lay them down. You force them to lay down on the ground. And you drop a, a massive boulder on them. Tradition says that Paul had one of of the massive boulders dropped on him and he lived. Now it's tradition, we don't see that in scripture, but man, it is a cool story. And we know that he has experienced stoning, we just don't know what type. And Paul says, death nor life, the two possible states of existence... Angels nor demons, the whole spiritual world, present nor future, there's no time, there's no event in time. Powers, there's nothing of power, not the president, not Satan, nothing. There's neither height nor depth, nothing in space, nothing on earth, nothing in heaven, nothing on hell, in hell itself, nor anything in all creation. Nothing that has been created can separate us from God's love. you I was going to get excited this pumps me up this makes me go crazy in my mind because it says in Christ now notice it says in Christ Jesus our Lord and Paul gives us this this fitting conclusion not just to chapter 8 but and and not for the book because we're going to kind of go in a different direction starting in chapter 9 next year but he gives us this fitting conclusion and he says In Christ Jesus our Lord, nothing can separate us from the love of God in that relationship with Him. Because it's only in a relationship with Jesus do we experience God's love for us. Jesus is front and center as our only hope. Our only hope. And if we choose to follow Him, if we as the righteous will live by trusting Him, not questioning Him over and over, not saying no, but just trusting Him, then we gain that 100% guarantee that we will be with Him in heaven. And nothing can take that away. I don't know if y'all think that's cool, but I think that's incredible. He is the one that ensures our 100% guarantee of salvation. Father, as we move into a time of remembrance of you, I pray that we will know that in you, our salvation is secure. It's in a rock solid vault that cannot be cracked. It is held in your hands that no one can open except for you and you alone. God, I pray this morning you will, you will help us to understand personally, to realize that trusting in you, that believing in you, that that is where we belong. That is our hope. God, that is where the guarantee begins. Father, this morning I pray for our hearts. For anyone here, Father, who's not made that choice. I pray that you begin to speak to them and speak to their hearts. For anyone here this morning who's been running away, who's been saying no, who's been pushing you aside. I pray for our hearts this morning, God. I ask that you will draw us back to you. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us where we failed you, God. Your blood on the cross has taken that. And so, Lord, this morning, as we remember you, we ask that you place in our hearts the understanding you've given us a 100% guarantee of salvation. That when we pass from this life to the next that you are there that we will be in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name.